something that I'm doing to help take care of myself is I'm going for a lot of walks and um, sleeping better. I'm going to bed at a regular time and getting up at a regular time and it's making a difference. This is Josh. And this is Nicole. And you're listening to the Oregon Transition Podcast. Brought to you by the TTAN, the Transition Technical Assistance Network and professionals across the state. We've got you covered from Portland to Ontario, from Hood River to Klamath Falls, from Seaside to Burns, and everywhere in between. Hi, Josh. Hi, Nicole. Still recording from our closets. Still trying to make sense of all the things going on in the world. Which makes sense because this episode is going to be all about well-being, which is something that we all need to consider, especially during this time. So, Nicole, when you get on the airplane, they always tell you to put on your own oxygen mask before assisting others in the event of emergency. So that's what we're going to talk about today is how we can take care of ourselves as we navigate so much uncertainty during our current situation. Let's hear how folks from around the state are taking care of themselves. So being able to see people, at least on the computer, has been great. I have been trying to make sure I have one day on the weekend where I do no schoolwork. I guess I'm trying to do yoga. It's been nice to um, just have some time maybe to, to walk a little more, to do yoga, or just to take a break. Going out to the yard and throwing the ball for the dog and getting the garden going. Um. And I go in two days a week to do the summer meals program, or not summer meals program, it's like summer meals, <laughs> but our district meal program. And so getting to see the families as they drive up and just kind of touch base with them and being able to hand out the meals has been really good for me. So Nicole, what have you been doing to take care of yourself during this time? Well, much like the other people that that you've already heard from, I've been focusing on different physical activities and mental activities, keeping connected with family and friends in new and unique ways. I'm just taking it day by day, really, as much as anybody else can do. Josh, what have you been doing to take care of yourself? I love sports. I've played sports my whole life. I have a basketball hoop in the front of my house. I have a lacrosse goal in the back of my house. Try to take some time to either play basketball or play lacrosse every day with my kids. So as you know, Nicole, the 2020 Oregon Statewide Transition Conference was canceled this year and we had an exciting new strand. We did. We had the strand of well-being and yeah, it was canceled. Talk about stress. During these Oregon Transition Podcast episodes, Nicole and I are going to interview individuals that were scheduled to present at this year's Oregon Statewide Transition Conference. Nicole, I had the pleasure of interviewing you and Heather Lynch that we're going to present on well-being. The first thing I asked was, why did we add a well-being strand? Uh, well-being uh, was put onto the OSTAC agenda uh, specifically so that there would be more of a focus on, on how we take care of ourselves and how we take care of our students and, and um, practices that are surrounding those make um, our, our work a little bit easier. Um, when you can take care of yourself and when you can teach your students to take care of their, themselves, life gets just a little bit easier and and it's kind of important for the scenario that we're in right now. 
So Nicole, I gotta know, how does it feel hearing your own pre-recorded voice as we listen back to this interview? Well, Josh, it's it's a little meta, right? Like hearing myself and commenting on my own interview. Um, so I might leave a lot of the commentary up to you and and my co-presenter Heather Lynch, who was who is a phenomenal human being, especially when it comes to well-being. I just think about stress factors personally. I try to neutralize um, because there's also things that happen around us that are good stressors, right? And stress affects everybody different in their body. So a good stressor might give us a little bit of an adrenaline rush and gets us through the thing that we need or want to get through that we're maybe excited about and you know, hoping that is going to go well, and and that little that little boost in our body can help us. Um, and then sometimes, if it feels like a stress that's maybe against us, uh, we might get a cortisol rush, which is the um, sort of this what we call the stress hormone, the thing that um, can become toxic in our body should there be too much of it over an extended period of time. That was just Heather Lynch. And I asked Heather to introduce herself. Sure. Um, Heather Lynch. I am a counselor specialist with vocational rehabilitation. My specialty area is motivational interviewing, which is a helpful way of talking with people about change. At this year's OSDC, Heather and I were supposed to be presenting on the benefits of self-empathy. And she will be talking a little bit more about that right now. Little did we know how important that would be when, when we thought about this this topic as being helpful at the conference. When you think about what's happening in the world right now, how important it is to be kind to ourselves and compassionate to ourselves. Um, I wake up every morning thinking about how's my heart, how's my body, how's my head, how's my mind today, um, and how can I be? We all as humans have different stressors in our lives. And the whole kind of basis for our presentation was how to identify those what does it actually do to to your body and your mind and how do you process those things and and how do you find ways to to manage and how do you find ways to cope how do you find ways to provide self-care and empathy towards yourself so that you can become stronger i agree i think it's so important to check in with yourself when you wake wake up in the morning important to check in with yourself multiple times a day, but where do you start? Well, first thing that I think about is to start noticing that they're happening. So when we when we have awareness that there's a stressor or an activator, something that's occurring around or within us, you know, noticing the things that are happening in our body, uh, that, that to me is the first step. And those things might be um, an increased heart rate increased breathing, right? So physically, it might be like sweating, it might be um, that like anxious, an anxious feeling, um, increased or decreased awareness, it, it, the like how you feel stress in your own person can really be different for everybody. Um, sometimes it might be fidgeting, or it might be like physically pacing. So hey, Nicole, I'm going to ask you to provide commentary on your own comments. Let's just talk about this idea, and it's such great information. The idea is that you're checking in with your body and you said that you start to notice increased heart rate or sweating. How, what, what do you notice in your body when you start to feel the bad kind of stress? 
Um, well, for me personally, the, the bad kind of stress, I, I tend to get really, um, feel a lot of tension in my body. I, I hold a lot of it physically in my back or in my, in my, um, legs. It, it, I feel kind of things compressing, right? Um, I feel anxious. I'll get shortness of breath or I'll get really a lot of like hyperactivity with it too. Um, it, when it's the bad type of, of stress, that's, that's how it affects me. But again, everybody's different. How does stress affect you, Josh? Well, I notice when I get stressed is I just stay focused on one thing and I start to maybe loop about it in my mind. And it's hard for me to break my concentration and I feel like nothing else matters except for that, that one thing. And for me, once I get to that place, it's really hard to break that loop. Yeah, you get pulled down that rabbit hole, right? The spiraling rabbit hole. It's a very common thing. And it doesn't ever help or solve the problem. Let's hear about some strategies you can use when you start feeling the toxic kind of stress. Well, one thing that I do is I prepare myself. So I prepare not only my body, but my mind. Um, so there are a lot of things that I do for myself outside my role um, to take care of myself. I'm a food weirdo. Uh, so I think about specific things that keep my body healthy with food. I have a pretty clear exercise regimen that includes a lot of time outside that really helps me. So honestly, um, if I could do anything and everything in the forest, I probably would. And I actually know that I really thrive in, in that kind of stress and adrenaline juxtaposition, right? So that when I know that I have pressure on me, um, whether it's the fact that I need to be somewhere or that I need to present at something or that I need to complete something or deadline, like those actually really help me and bring me a lot of, of joy. Whereas that's not always the case for most people. Like they don't always just kind of embrace that stress. It's, it's a really weird way that I work, but I have noticed that. And, and so previous to this, what I'm trying to say is my self-care was not the best, right? It was very much just kind of like, go, go, go. I, I always made sure to like emotionally self self-care, like make sure that like I knew where my head was at with, with like my emotions and, and going into like, Actually, volatile situations, but having like having an, an idea of what I would say, so being prepared in that sense. But but like turn to now when the situation has has definitely changed for all of us, and I've noticed that um, that having routines and having exercise and having like that dedicated schedule because I don't have that that um, stress of needing to do thing after thing. Um, has really kind of supplemented what it was before. So I'm probably being healthier now than I was previous to this. So Nicole, it sounds like you and Heather have different ways of approaching stress. You're, you're describing embracing the stress and really thriving off of it. Heather is describing being prepared and being ready for the stress and taking care of yourselves with a good good food and exercise. Well, I, I think the important point there is that everybody experiences stress differently. And the stress I was talking about in that clip is work stress, which I do deal with very well. But personal stress or family stress or pandemic stress, it can be really negative. It could be, um, 
it can have a different effect than the good stress typically does and you have to be prepared for it and you have to be able to be okay with the fact that you're not perfect in it stress is a hard thing to cope with and we're all kind of struggling from that same place right now and that's okay now we have the task of interacting with with students and clients who also might be feeling stressed so when I think about being a motivational interviewing practitioner, there's a way I do my work and um, how I think about the folks that I serve and support. I also think about those things in relation to myself, trying to be non-judgmental and compassionate and accepting of, you know, my, maybe I didn't get that much sleep last night and I'm not feeling awesome. And what can I do to help boost um, so that I can be a better listener today? What is it that I need maybe more of um, that will help me get through and have conversations as I'd like to have today? How are you utilizing self-empathy during the stay-at-home order? I think I've been able to find like a different type of joy, right? Um, and appreciate different things. And, and like I said, been able to build up a, a stronger self-care regimen taking this time to do that so that when, when all this is over and it comes back around and I feel like that, that same onslaught of, of stressors that I thrived in before, I think I'll even be better at it because I'll have a, an idea of better self-care in place. That I have recommitted myself to self-care during this time um, because I've seen the elevated need. And I think about compassion as a bit of a flow so we have, you know, compassion that goes out. And as helpers, we have lots of compassion that might go out. And it may go out in lots of places in our lives to other people other than we might, like our students and our coworkers and um, maybe our friends, neighbors, family. We're seeing lots of people with a lot of need. And it can feel overwhelming. And so, have, you know, the flow has to come back, right? And we're the only ones that can really do that. Um, to to give that compassion back to ourselves by doing the things that are important for us. So I laugh and I say, my hot tub time is um, essential to me right now. <laughs> yeah. and, it, and thinking about like experimenting, what are the things that help and support and leaving the things that don't behind. So there's going to be times, no matter what, whether you eat well, whether you get enough sleep, whether you decide to embrace your stress, there's going to be times that something is going to trigger you and you might become stressed. And in these uncertain times, when we don't know how long the stay-at-home order is going to end and we don't know when we're going to all be back in school, what can you do? Personally, my strategy is to neutralize it, um, to think about it it is, it's something, um, if I don't ramp it up in my own mind and body, um, yes, there are things that I have no control over. Whether or not school opens in the fall is not my decision to make. It will happen or it won't happen. And um, having that be uh, sort of neutral versus worry about it or you know, have it create additional um, stress in my body or mind um, isn't helpful to me. Uh, the things that I have control over, like 
preparing for the possibility that we might not go back to school in the fall. Um, that helps me to have some sense of control or autonomy around the thing that I don't have control over. Um, what, if anything, can I do to prepare for the potential outcomes? Our students are facing that same sort of stress and uncertainty right now. Mm-hmm. Like anybody that, that, that we've worked with, our students, clients, depending, you know, on your role, whether it's VR. Um, and, and you also have to, like, think that if you're allowing them to have that discussion with you where they're starting to take kind of those reins and you're allowing them to have that control, that kind of feeds back into that supportive loop. Of, of de-stressing and um, and making sure that you're approaching those people that you're working with with that same level of, of empathy that you're giving yourself. So Nicole, I really like the idea of talking with students about this. Yeah, I think that having open and honest conversations during this time with students and clients and children and our kids it's important. We're all in this boat of uncertainty and none of us are stronger or better at it than, than anyone else. And the only way that, that we can get through it is really by allowing each other space and allowing each other grace. And now I'm just rhyming things. So that's weird. So this was great. Thank you for sharing what you would have shared at this year's uh, Oregon Statewide Transition Conference with us. Uh, I asked you, is this was this as good as the session would have been? But apparently, there was something missing. We had a lot of balloons. There were going to be balloons. Yeah, yeah. Really? Yeah, I was really excited about the balloons. Yeah, you'll see us next. Oh, time. what what would have happened with the balloons? Oh, we're not going to tell you. Spoilers, Josh. So, balloons, Nicole. That would have been fun. And I can't help but think we're missing out. Well, Josh, you, you really are. But that's okay. <laughs> we'll, we'll get to it the next time OSTC comes around. There were a lot of great speakers that we had lined up in this first track. We are not the only people that were going to speak about well-being. And in fact, I think you were able to interview one of the other speakers. I did. And the first question I asked him, what's well-being? That's a great question. So I, I, I think I, I come from a clinical background. I'm, uh, I'm a trained mental health counselor. And, um, and so we are always looking at, or when we're in you know, treatment, we're looking at mental illness and trying to prevent mental illness or trying to help people overcome mental illness and well-being to me is almost like uh, more of the preventative side of things and creating spaces and creating mindsets that are protective of those threats to your mental health. So that soundbite was from James Sinclair, who is a scheduled speaker at the Oregon Statewide Transition Conference. My name is James Sinclair, and I am a research associate at the University of Oregon in the Center on Human Development. So what I was going to present is a project that's happening at the University of Oregon. We are creating a diagnostic interview to assess and diagnose mental illness in individuals who experience intellectual disabilities. And the reason why we're doing this is because individuals who experience intellectual disabilities 
potentially express mental health symptoms or symptomatology differently than people who don't experience an ID. The other thing too is that there's a lot of other assessment issues that um, don't take into account the unique um, expressive communication styles that individuals who experience ID have. So what I wanted to do is, you know, for special educators, I wanted to kind of show them how we were developing this assessment to account for those unique needs that individuals who experience ID have, um, what we're doing, and then um, and then helping hopefully to also get the word out because we are also actively recruiting for this particular study to test it out because because there's been nothing like it we are trying to validate it and make sure that it's reliable um, so we've done a ton of development and now it's validating to make sure that if a counselor if a psychologist uses this interview they can accurately diagnose mental illness. So Josh, James and his team have developed an assessment that looks at the complexity of mental illness and how it interacts with people that experience intellectual disabilities, because the two things are are very different and sometimes things can be missed. So there needs to be a more thorough assessment. Am I correct? That is correct. And James can give you more information. When teachers are talking about mental health in their classroom, I really want to know actually what does that mean to them? Because I think people are feeling more comfortable with talking about mental health or thinking they're seeing mental health, but what is it exactly are they seeing and does that actually translate to a diagnosis or, you know, meeting those diagnostic criteria for a mental illness? So James's study is focused on individuals that experience intellectual disabilities. So I asked him, are mental health barriers more prevalent in individuals that experience intellectual disabilities? It's actually across the board. So for all individuals who experience some form of a disability, we're seeing kind of a heightened prevalence rates. Um, So a lot of it is internalizing issues, but you know, no matter the educational disability that that we kind of think of as disability, um, we see that they experience mental health or threats to their mental health more than the typical developing peer that doesn't experience a disability. The thing is, is that they estimate that individuals with intellectual disabilities are even heightened when compared to others with disabilities. But there's a ton of variability in how we assess How do we diagnose? And so that's kind of a thing that we need to take into caution is the idea of, you know, do those who experience ID really do have higher prevalence rates than those who have a a different disability and those who don't experience a disability? That is a really interesting concept that I don't think many people um, wrap their heads around that frequently is the fact that mental illness could be being underreported in people that experience IDD because of the fact of the, of the complexity of, of their disabilities. So how, how do we support him? How do we help him gather the material he needs to move forward on this project? Yeah, well, this is a work in progress, and he's going to explain how many people are involved. We are at the UVO trying to recruit about 100 to 150 uh, participants to uh, 
to do the assessment with, with us. Uh, we are partnering with other organizations like SRI International at Menlo Park, California, um, as well as The Ohio State University in Columbus, Ohio. Um, across the sites, we're hoping to recruit 400 uh, dyads, so 400 um, individuals who experience an intellectual disability and their caregivers uh, to do the interview with us, to do the assessment. And this will give us enough data to do statistical analyses to make sure that it is valid. I think this is extremely important. Okay, we, we, we all know that many of the students that we work with experience mental health concerns that and, and need support. So Nicole, I asked James, can I take this information and apply it in my classroom? What did you say? Within this study, that is a kind of a, a limitation of itself is the idea of translating results of like an interview to practicality. Because right now, we need the data to validate it to make sure that whatever the diagnosis that comes out of the interview is actually a valid diagnosis. And so currently, when somebody does the interview with us, um, we can't say, oh, this individual has depression based off of these results, um, and this is what you should do. Uh, but that said, I think what's really important is, you know, teachers are so good at this, and I know that this is a challenge depending on where you are in the state, but, you know, making sure that um, families and youth are connected to services. I would say that especially in, in this time that we're in, it's important to realize those connections that we have in our community, whether it's a personal service agent, whether it's a VR counselor, whether it's a mental health specialist, we all need to feel connected somehow. If you don't know who to connect to, that's something that, that we can help with as a TTAN as well. We can point you in the right direction of, of how to get those supports that, that you need. James also gives some um, suggestions about working with students in the classroom. Um, some things that's really important when working with individuals with ID and you may not sure what's going on is constantly listen and have an open ear. You know, I think teachers are at this really great position to understand what a student's typical behavior is. And when they come in day after day, and if they start seeing something that's off, it's really important to kind of start paying attention to that. So things like, um, you know, something that's really common in depression is that if some of their favorite things are no longer fun to them. So if there's something that they would typically do when they get into the classroom that they really, really liked, and that you see them changing their behaviors, that could be an indication potentially of some kind of low-lying depression or withdraw from friends. Um, so really important to ask questions just to see what's going on, but also to make sure that you repeat the questions to make sure that you really understand that maybe it, it is something that is psychiatric versus you know just something that happened during the day that's just kind of an immediate reaction. Um, and listen for repetition because that's what we're seeing too is in, um, in anxiety and depression, if, if a youth is kind of more and more repeating an issue or um, that could be a good sign that they may need more professional help. Well, those are some really good tips to give teachers and to, to be aware of when you're working with students. 
looking for those repetitive behaviors, making sure that it's not just the, the one-off for the day that's causing that, that negative reaction or behavior. And I also think that it's important for, for James to get this, this study and these assessments done so that we can be better prepared as a state to address the mental health concerns for our students and for the IDD population. So I asked James if he wanted more individuals to be involved in his study. Yeah, I would love it if, if you are interested. We are recruiting individuals, um, youth and young adults between the ages of 14 and 24 uh, with an intellectual disability and their caregiver, so a parent, guardian, even a teacher um, who knows the youth for more than a year could participate as a guardian um, or a caregiver to that youth. So um, they can contact me at J-A-M-E-S-I-N at uorgan.edu. Um, so that's J-A-M-E-S-I-N at uorgan.edu. Um, and what's great is for their participation, um, each individual, so um, the youth and the caregiver, will each get a $50 gift card. So, Nicole, what I've learned from this episode is it's really important to take care of yourself and to also be on the lookout for your students and clients and help them be in the good space. Right, and making sure that they have resources. What can we do to make sure that our students have every opportunity to succeed during this strange time? And how can we take care of ourselves? Hopefully you've gained a little bit of insight from this episode, but know that we will have more to come around well-being, around strategies, around resources as the weeks move on. So that's all for this episode. So peace out, pod people, and be well. And take care of yourselves. The Oregon Transition Podcast is brought to you by the TTAN, the Transition Technical Assistance Network, with support from Vocational Rehabilitation and Oregon Department of Education. All views and opinions expressed on this podcast belong to the individuals, not necessarily their supporting agency. The Oregon Transition Podcast is produced by Nicole Perdue, Josh Barber, Tony DePeel, and the podfather himself, Lon Thornburg. With additional interviews provided by members of the T-Tang. Our theme music is composed by former transition student Boone Richter out of Brownsville, Oregon. Additional music provided by Lon Thornburg. For questions, comments, or episode ideas, please email us at OregonTransitionPodcast at gmail.com. And for all the latest OTP news, connect with us on Facebook. I think it's appreciating being outside a little bit more. Um, you know, I think I took for granted, you know, the the kind of experience of going to the office and coming back and not being enough. But I think being being in the house and being able to find ways, you know, luckily we have a trail just right around the house and finding, you know, re-experiencing those trails and re-experiencing kind of the nature that's around us. I think that's pretty, that's been a pretty good positive for me.